Hello and welcome to another episode of Cast It Into the Fire podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Sherry. And we are back to Red Wall. I know we've taken kind of a long break from it, but we're back to it again. And where we left off, um, Ambrose Spike has um, come back to the Abbey and told about the capture of the Vols, but he was not captured himself. And the tapestry had been taken by Shadow who uh, died in the attempt, but not before the tapestry was gotten into Clooney's clutches, and Matthias has just sneaked out to try to get the tapestry back. So, starting up chapter 16 with that background, um, Clooney is at his uh, camp at St. Ninian's Church, and uh, weapons are being sharpened, and um, they're dying off a planking a, from the Lich Gate. I'm uh, not actually sure what that is. Not sure what kind of gate that is, uh, but uh, you know, I know why they're you know not off the planking. But, uh, and they're they're collecting stones and coiling ropes around their bodies, and um Clooney's in the choir loft with his uh war standard, and he's attached the tapestry to it. Now, choir lofts tend to be up high with a view of the whole sanctuary uh below, so I think he felt the choir loft was a good place for. Uh, the leader to 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 be to be, and it's a little more private than down below too. Now I assume this is a small church. I'm still not exactly sure on the size scale because I think at this point Brian was still using human size scale for mm-hmm. things, and I don't think this is too much of a. Spoiler, but later in the series, um, human-like stuff tends to not be implied anymore, and this church was a house built by by a mouse for mice, so... Right now, it seems to be a human-sized church, but small, a country church, with a country graveyard right next to it, um... Maybe that's what the that uh, lich gate thing is. Maybe that's the gate to the graveyard. I'm imagining it's probably a gate around it. Because I've heard lich yard used to mean graveyard before. It was spelled okay. differently, but yeah. Well, it it is a church with a graveyard, and um, and a storage shed. Uh... Well, anyway, Clooney is uh. In the choir loft, and he's got the Vol family all tied up there, and he's you know threatening them, and and they're they're very bold back to him, and you know defiant in their talk to uh, Clooney. And um, Clooney, you know, tells the the Vol to hold his t- tongue, and um, he set says if they see his new battle flag, and this is Martin the Warrior, the same one that's supposed to protect the abbot and the 
mice. And he is mine now, and it's fitting that he travels at the head of real warriors, and he will lead them to victory. And Mrs. Bull, um, she she spoke up, and, like, you'll never bend real Redwall to your evil will. Good will prevail. You'll see, Clooney. We are tied up, but our minds are free. And, uh... Clooney gives a crack with his tail. I don't think he actually hit any of them with it, but the voles are um, all, like, cowering on the floor when that happens. And uh, then uh, Mr. Vol, Abram Vol, is trying to shield his wife and son with his body um, so that um, tail doesn't hit them. And um, Clooney says he doesn't mean to capture the spirit of Redwall. He means to kill it and um, says to take these you know, voles out of his sight and lock them in the hut that's out back to let them just you know, think about what's going to happen to them when he returns. And they're all, you know, the voles are all dragged off to the hut to be locked up. And um, Redtooth comes in to say that the horde is ready to march and um, Clooney, at that point, he's got all his armor and his poison barb on his tail, and um, he's looking at his army. Now, be- besides having the poison barb and on the um, his uh, war standard, he has the tapestry, but he also has the a ferret skull. Yeah, that was uh, he already had that, but right. Uh, yeah, the skull from a ferret that he'd killed, and if yeah, that kind of makes it sound like it's. A bigger feat, except it's really not because ferrets are pretty much pretty easy pushover soldiers. They're they're better at some things than the rats are, um, but it's a deterrent in his mind to keep others in line. Yeah, and um, Clooney. Was quick to kill off one of his own if they crossed him. Right. Well, anyway, he has a very big, you know, army he's uh, looking out over, and he's got uh, black rats, brown rats, gray rats, piebald rats, skulking weasels, furtive stoats, and sinuous ferrets, and when they got all their weapons and it's raining. And yes, Brian Jakes used the word sinuous. Um... I wonder if anyone ever, like, I suppose, yeah, if somebody was to make a game of counting how many times he says sinuous or sinewy or, mm-hmm. because I can't think of any author that likes that word so much. <laughs> Longfellow, maybe, he used it in a poem of the village blacksmith, but... George R.R. R. uses it um, occasionally, but, but not like Brian Jake's. And so he's getting his army up into a frenzy. Um, Where does Clooney's army go? Redwall, Redwall, what is the law of Clooney? Kill, kill, kill. Who will lead you to victory? Clooney, Clooney, Clooney the Scourge. And he sets him and his whole army marching off down the road to Redwall. And um, that's the end of chapter 16. Uh, Chapter 17, which... um, I'll note that it's, um, okay, all of the chapters have a little drawing above them, 
And this one, the drawing is of a metal with a hair that says stealthily on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the drawing sometimes has something to do with what's going on in the chapter and sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And this time it does. Anyway, chapter 17 starts and um Ragir, so um one of Clooney's rats who'd run off after the um capture of the tapestry. Right. Um he's lost and he he's separated from Clooney. He's going off in the wrong direction and he's kept going. He's scared because he heard a bird chirping suddenly rushing on into moss flower and he's exhausted and wet and he curls up to sleep just in the woods and he wakes up at about mid-morning and he hears footsteps and it's Matthias going past and he thinks he's got himself a good find because he can catch a prisoner and bring him back to Clooney and press his boss and maybe he wouldn't get in trouble for running running off right and Matthias looks over his shoulder and he sees Ragier trying to stalk him and he looks pretty awkward and but Matthias doesn't seem especially scared but he recognizes that this is still an enemy right and he just keeps walking and um Ragier is coming up with a bogus story about how about there being much more than one mice six mice yeah and how he um, got them all, but he saved one alive to bring back for questioning. And um, he's fantasizing about being promoted to leadership of the Horde. Oh, Ragir was never smart. <laughs> and then Matthias lets go of a branch that he had bent back, and it hits Ragir right in the face, and Knocks him out. They use the term polexed, which I looked up. Polexed. Hit, kill, or knock down with, or as if with a poleaxe. Or a great shock to someone. Well, Ragir's not dead. He's knocked out. And that that's another uh, Brian Jakesism. He uses poleaxe. I don't really see it elsewhere. Other writers. Well, maybe it's more of a British thing. Maybe it's a British thing, or maybe it's because you know they use that kind of weaponry, and, and yeah, then know. again, they kind of use that sort of thing in most of my style of oh, okay. stuff I read. But uh, maybe not the Polak specifically, but a lot. Anyhow, of... it was a long, whippy larch branch. Uh, Matthias had held it back. Uh, quite a while, at least, so it felt, waiting for Ragier. And just lets it go and smack. And he, he uses uh, Shadow's climbing rope, and he bound Ragier to a sturdy oak. And since he had... So, like, he didn't kill Ragier, but he didn't want Ragier following him right. either. And, and he was on a mission, basically, and he didn't want Ragier to slow him down, so uh, he 
he left the rat senseless bound to the tree, and he continued on. And the rain stopped, and it the sun comes out, and it's June, so it's hot pretty quickly. Um, yeah, nice. Uh, here's the kind of, you know, Brian Jake's prose. The rain stopped. Within minutes, the hot June sun burst down on Mossflower as if an apology for its absence. Clouds of steaming mist arose from the woodland floor, mingling with the golden shafts slanting down through the trees. The birds began singing. Each flower and blade of grass was decked out in jeweled pedantry with necklaces of sparkling raindrops. See this, this kind of picturesque scenery, very described. This is, you know, very much Jake's style here. And, mm-hmm. um, some people don't like um, writers going on and on about the scenery, but Jake's does it well did it well mm. uh, no he's he's very good but then I think you you surely have gone into why he was so descriptive um yeah in the in our first episode about Redwall we talked about how um he was he originally made the story for children from the school for the blind so right. um this is so they can imagine it vividly and, and it makes for a very good story to yeah so Matthias, it's warm, he's humming a tune, and he stops just in time to where there's a fast overgrown area described as neither pasture nor meadow, um, and it was the common land that had once belonged within the curtilage of St. Ninian's. Curtilage, again, definition, an area of land attached to a house and forming one enclosure with it. And so he's kind of crouching at the edge of that. He's looking at the back of the church. He can see 10 or 12 rats patrolling. And he you know, needs to get across this without being seen. There's clumps of thistle and ground hummocks, which would be his only cover. He speaks his thoughts out loud. And mm. a voice... <laughs> this could present a little him. problem. Yeah, strange voice. Problem. A little problem... Well, at least it's not a fully grown adult problem. And Matthias squeaks aloud with fright and he turns around. And then he doesn't see anyone and he kind of gets a hold of himself and he calls out boldly, come out here this instant and show yourself. And the voice answers, show myself indeed. How many pairs of eyes do you want, young feller? Eh, eh? Fine state of affairs. Bless my soul. What, what? (laughs) And... Matthias is still looking and he doesn't see anything and he's warning you come out and show yourself. I'm in no mood for playing games and he's starting to get mad. And then a hair pops out right next to him. A lanky hair with odd patchwork creature with fur and ashen hue with blots of grey and light brown flecked white on the underbelly and he was very tall with formidable hefty hind legs and a comical pouched face topped off by two immense ears which flopped about of their own accord and he um does a courtly old fashioned um in a courtly old fashioned manner he makes a leg bowing gracefully and his voice carried a slightly affected quaver now making a leg um i could best describe that as it's Similar kind of to a curtsy, but 
you know, a man might do it too. Yeah. Um, actually, I think Brian Jakes used to do that kind of um, thing himself, but oh, uh, you looking for a video of it or... I'm just looking. I think I remember when my sister met him. Yeah, I think he actually did that for did everyone. That. Or maybe it was someone someone else better. But somebody who met him, yeah, he he did that for the... That's cool. Yeah. So, anyway, Basil Stag here. He may, at your service, sir. Expert, scout, hindleg fighter, wilderness guide, and camouflage specialist. Ahem, liberator of tender young crops, carrots, lettuce, and other such strange beasts. Pray tell me whom I have the pleasure of addressing, and please state the nature of your little problem. So this is the first hare to show up in these stories. Mm-hmm. And all of them, with a few exceptions, they're like very larger-than-life characters. Um... Generally connected with some kind of military mm-hmm. and v- very uh, exaggerated posh British accents. Right. And yeah, most of them are pretty like <clears throat> exuberant extroverts and uh, they love food and very serious fighters if there's a battle and. Well, Basil Stag is the original one, but to some degree, almost every hair you meet is gonna have those things in common. And um, when Matthias meets Basil Stag, he thinks that he's either slightly mad, as in crazy, or tipsy. Um, but his outmoded manner was certainly friendly, and Matthias humors him and bows low and says good day to you Mr. Basil Staghair my name is Matthias I am a novice in the order of Redwall Mice my immediate problem is to cross this line to the church over yonder without being discovered by the rats who are guarding it and um, Basil says Matthias what an odd name to be sure and uh, Matthias is like you know, your name's odd too it's not half as odd as yours whoever heard of a hare being called Basil Stag and Basil explains that Hare is the family name, and his parents named him Basil, although his old mom, except for he called her Mater, wanted me to be called Columbine Agnes, and always longed for a young lass. And Matthias asks, why Stag? And the Hare says, noble creature Stags, did I ever tell you I wanted to be one, a magnificent royal Stag with great coat hanger antlers, so I went down to the jolly old river one night and christened myself Stag. Had two toads and a newt as witnesses, you know. Oh, yes. Now, interestingly, I think deer are another animal that were kind of written out of the series pretty quick because except for Basil Stag talking about how much he likes them, you never see a deer come up in this series ever. Yeah. It's got all your smaller British wildlife, but no deer. Right. And Matthias starts, you know, laughing a little at this, and Basil does too. 
and he says that he'd, um, like, he's gonna help him get to the church, and there's nothing easier. But he, he did, uh, get his, I think, haversack and bring out some lunch. Yeah, he says, why don't we talk about what brings you here, and let's, uh, have lunch, and he brings out fennel and oat cakes. And he you know, takes out his haversack, and um, they're both eating the lunch, and Matthias is explaining why he's there. And um, yeah, Basil says the rats that he knew they'd come eventually through intelligence on the grapevine, and he could feel it in his old ears too. And he knows about Redwall. And he knows Abbot Mortimer, and um, he heard that Joseph Bell, and that some cheeky old hedgehog told him to run for it. So that's the Ambrose Spike, mm-hmm. and he couldn't go, of course, because that would never do. A chap deserting his post, bit of a bad show, and he prefers his own company, present company accepted, of course. Yeah, he's a he's a soldier. He doesn't wanna. You know, retreat. And he tells Matthias that his uh, green habit is good camouflage, and he should try lying down anywhere in their shadows. And it'd be tough to see. And how to d- kind of dodge back and forth. And Basil is showing how he's done the ducking and weaving, and. Uh, right. Matthias follows and he's trying to do the same thing and um, all the time they're they're talking. You'd think they'd be like worried about keeping cover or with their I know, noise. They're but... getting closer to the rats. Yes, I guess they're under their breath talking. It is really very simple, isn't it, Basil? How am I doing? Capital bung-ho, like a duck to water, young feller. Flop me ears if you aren't the best pupil I've ever had. By the way, is there anything I can do to help? And uh, Matthias says that he's there is, but he's reluctant to um, ask him to involve himself in his fight. And Basil snorts and says that's Rubbish, my fight indeed. Do you fondly imagine that I sit there munching at the old nose bag while some ugly great rodent and this band of yahoos run about conquering my countryside? Huh, never let it be said in the mess that Basil Staghair was backward and coming forward. Ask away, Matthias, you young curmudgeon. Yeah, I can't do the accent, but mm-hmm. if you get the idea of how he talks. Right. Um, and then he strikes a pose with his... Chest all puffed out and his paw on his heart and his eyes closed and ears standing up. I thought he was trying to hide, right? Mm-hmm. And Matthias is hiding a smile and says that he looks um, heroic standing like that and thanks him for the help and Basil Stagg kind of looks at himself, and yes, he did look rather gallant, a bit like the monarch of the glen or the stag at eve. Not that a young mouse would understand anything of that nature. And that's another 
Monarch of the Glen and Stag at Eve, that's kind of more like out of world references. Scottish. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't actually know about Stag at Eve. I don't know about Stag at Eve. I'm assuming it's a painting or something, but. Well. Time to look it up and see if you get anything. Well, it's here. You can look. I'm not exactly finding what I thought I might. Um. Okay. Well, I'm seeing a book by Henry C. Wilkinson, and it looks like it's some kind of um. World War Two related thing. Well, there was also that Dr. Seuss collection. And there's a Art of Dr. Seuss collection, and it certainly shows a stag, but it's about as not majestic as a stag could possibly look because Dr. Seuss drew it. Right. It looks silly. It's drinking out of a fountain. So, I don't actually know what is being referenced, but it's not just talking about a stag in the evening, because stag and eve are both capitalized, so it's got to be a reference to something. Hey, if anybody knows, you know, feel free to contact us on our uh, Facebook and uh, send us a message. There's a book written. Yeah, the, the World War Two thing. Oh, is that World War Two? Nineteen thirty something, I think it said. Oh. I'm assuming it's World War Two because I can see a guy with a swastika on it. It says a, a book that I don't know if it, there might be more than one. Well, anyway, back to Redwall. Uh, Matthias asks if Basil can make some kind of a... It's also a poem. Oh, yep, there's a poem called The Stag at Eve by Leslie... Leslie, uh... Janike? Janique? J-E-N-I-K-E. Janike? I don't know. Um, and this was written in 2010, so that can't be... Okay, that... So, the stag at Eve is various things, and I don't know what, uh, Jake's was referring to. Now, Matthias asks if Basil could make some kind of a diversion. And Basil says that he can, and, um... That he should cut across the flank to their left. They took a piece of planking out of the fence. And he can slide through there. 
and make his exit the same way. And he'll be somewhere about keeping an eye. And uh, go off. So Matthias goes when he's still bobbing and weaving. And Basil goes up to the nearest rat and taps him on the back. I say, old thing, where's this leader feller? Clooney or Looney, whatever you call him. And the rat's just standing there like dumbfounded. And Basil leaves and pops up beside another rat. Phew, dear, dear, don't you chaps ever take a bath. Listen here, you dreadful creature. Do you realize that you smell the high heaven? Or by the way, did your parents ever call you Pongo, or did they smell as bad as you? Yeah, I'm assuming Pongo means stinky, like, oh, what a Pong. More uh, British words. Basil... The rats are angry and they're trying to grab at him. And... Yeah, and, and Basil's always one step at least ahead of them. Uh, even though he's got multiple rats, he, he outwits them over and over and over again. And the rats are shouting, Grab that big skinny rabbit, lads. Big skinny rabbit yourself, cat's meat. Whoa, I'll stick his damned guts on my pike. Temper, temper, tut, tut, such language. If your mother could hear you. Blast, he is as slippery as a greased pig. Some of my best friends are greased pigs, bottle nose. Oops, missed me again, you old butterfingers, you. So the rats are clumsily trying to grab Basil and not grabbing him at all. And sometimes he kicks out with his legs and knocks them over. And then he's just like sprinkling daisies on them and dancing around them till they get up to keep chasing him and meanwhile matthias you know has made it to where the fence board had been removed by the rats he crawls through and he's looking into the church and it stinks of rat and the furniture is overturned and statues are broken and the stains and hymn books are torn and he can't see the fragment of tapestry anywhere or Clooney or any rats and then he realizes that they must have gone to Redwall and taken the tapestry with them, and he feels sick at the thought because Redwall is being attacked. He's here. And he's not there. And then he looks through a gap in the door, and he sees the vault. No. No, they call out to him. They actually call out to him. Matthias quickly over here in the hut, and he looks in the gap in the door, and he sees the Vol family with their paws tied. He has to repeatedly tell them to be quiet. Because he's trying to keep... The rat's not looking his way. Right. He he, he he wanted to get back to Basil, but now he's got to get the Vol family back to Basil. And he's looking for something to force the padlock and the hasp, and he thinks some rat has the key, but he doesn't have time for that. And then he finds an iron spike, and he's forcing the spike into the hoop of the lock and trying to break it and levering away, and it's not budging, and the youngest Vol Colin is um, all crying aloud. They'll be locked in here when Clooney gets back, and he doesn't want to face him again, do something, Matthias, save me. And Matthias um, is feeling contempt for Colin and says to stop whining, and it doesn't help, and keep your voice down, and tr- there may still be rats. Try to be brave like his mom and dad. And he gets frustrated and swings the spike at the lock and it bounces off and lodges between the hasp and the woodwork. So now he's trying to pull the 
spike out of where it's stuck. And then he falls over backwards, but it broke the hasp, and um, the door come away with, you know, twisted, rusty screws. And he uses his dagger to cut the bindings from the voles, and tells them to follow him and move quickly and quietly as they can. They're all going out through the fence, and they don't see the rat sentry, so he assumes that they're still chasing Basil. And it's mid-afternoon at this point, another uh, picturesque nature description from Brian. The common was peaceful and sunny. Butterflies perched on thistle flowers and grasshoppers serenaded each other with their ceaseless cadences. And Abram Vol is shaking Matthias by the paw, congratulating him, thanking him for the rescue. And Matthias says, we're not back home. And... Even if they do get home, he's afraid of what they may find. Yeah, they they were feared, in fear of what they would find at the end. And Mrs. Vol says that she saw them march off toward Redwall with the um, the tapestry tied to the banner. And Matthias is wishing he hadn't sneaked off from the Abbey, and he hopes that Constance has all the defenders on alert. And then Matthias realizes that he hadn't been on alert and he wished he was because the sentry rats had come back from chasing Basil. They're, um, they're tired, but Matthias and the Vol family had walked straight into them, and that's the end of chapter 17. Yeah, they, they were just kind of sitting in the grass, taking a break on their way back to the church when... And Brian likes a cliffhanger. When Matthias and the Vol family, you know, walked into them. So yeah, that's that's a cliffhanger, but fortunately it's not like a George R. R. Martin cliffhanger where you have to wait years before <laughs> uh, you get the results because uh, it's in the right next chapter. So. Um, yeah, so chapter 18, Clooney's forces are massing at the roadside ditch opposite Redwall Abbey. Um, I get the impression this is like a human-sized ditch, not rat-sized um, imagine the road was also human sized. Yeah. And Clooney is realizing he doesn't have very many archers because rats are notoriously bad at bow making and the fletching of arrows. Really, that doesn't stay consistently for the rest of the series. Now, the you Abbey see so mice... many rat archers in this series, well... but. Maybe Clooney doesn't have very that. many. Yeah. But the mice the mice had obviously been working long and hard on uh making arrows and they were sending volleys of arrows, tiny arrows, down on uh the rats. Yeah, these arrows are more painful than really dangerous because they're so small and I'm guessing the bows I, don't have I much. I imagine it would be like being uh Somebody shooting toothpicks at you. Pointy toothpicks. Or maybe like those flimsy little arrows that are meant to hit a target, but not... Maybe. And Clooney is calling Red Tooth and Dark Claw to have the sling throwers ready and on the signal... 
um, sling over the top of the abbey parapet so it would hit the defenders on the walls and that will make them keep their heads down so less shooting mouse arrows at them mm-hmm. and frog blood and scum nose are the organized gangs with scaling ladders and grappling hooks to get to the top of the wall and the rat captains go off to do that and the mouse archers are still shooting arrows and Constance is going up and down the walkway with a heavy cudgel in her paws and urging the mice on. Uh, I'm not sure how that cudgel is helpful to anything, but... Um, yeah, and she has Brother Rufus and Formal um, tells them to have they have a heap of rubble and stone at the parapet edge and to be ready to push that over the side at a moment's notice. And yeah, the rocks from Clooney's horde go upward and um several mice and moles were knocked down by them. And Constance tells everyone to get their heads down. So they they were prepared for them to try scaling the wall, but, you know, they wanted to wait with the rocks uh, and earth until they were actually up on the wall to, you know, get get the most from that. The abbot calls for stretcher bearers to get the mice and mole who were injured down to the cloisters and... Um, Winifred can hear something scraping on the walls and he, she tells Constance that she thinks Clooney's putting something up against the walls to try to climb. And just as Winifred is saying this, two grappling hooks go over the edge with climbing ropes attached to them. And Constance has to wait till they got some time to get off of the ground and she wants a lot of the rats to be high up before making a move. And, you know, the rats are noticing the success of them climbing. And that's when um, a bunch of the, the earth and rocks that Formal and Brother Rufus had are pushed over the side. And um, this knocks down the rats, it knocks down the ladders, and um, the rats are probably pretty badly hurt when they fell. And Clooney's going on a rage rant. And he actually left his battle standard behind and ran across the meadow and he leaped over the ditch in a single leap and across darted across the road and he grabs a rope himself and starts hauling himself up and then the beaver I was going to say how many beavers are mentioned in Redwall? Just the one. Okay. The beaver just finishes gnawing through the last strands of that rope and Clooney falls to from a fair height but not far enough for him to actually be injured and that's but he's, he's fallen in an more than undignified heap and he flings himself into the ditch and regroups his sling throwers and archers to await his command and the red wallers are cheering at the um the, wall and then does the beaver have a name nope he's just the beaver mm, too bad and uh, that's when Clooney yells fire and stones and arrows go upward and 
Um, several of the mice and woodlanders fell. I mean, not off of the wall, but, you know, fell down. So this is what's going on at the abbey. And in Mossflower Wood... Yeah, Ragier is still tied to the oak tree, but he's struggling to get untied on his own. And he's, um, because he's a rat, he's actually biting through the, um, the rope. But it's not going as well as you might think, because he's at an angle where he can't reach it very well with his mouth. And far off he can hear the attack going on. And the rope tastes bad, and Ragnar could yeah. tell that it smells that it belonged to Shadow. He never liked Shadow, and um, he's making it all personal as he bites through the rope. Ha, take that rope and that. No rope can keep Ragnar prisoner for long, he he he. Poor old Shadow, if only you could see your lovely rope now. And Ragnar straightened up, and he stops laughing, and he looks on in total terror and he sees the biggest, strongest, most evil-looking adder that had ever been born. A foot from his face. Now, I don't actually know how big this adder is meant to be. Now, actual adders, they're not as big as you might think. They're like... Yeah. Maybe you're talking like maybe a bigger one might be two and a half feet. Well, remember, this is also This is a rat. So Um, even if it were two and a half foot long, a rat, it's going to be big for a rat. And um, the rat was completely petrified. The breath seemed to freeze in his lungs. The sinister blunt head moved in a lazy rhythm, its forked tongue flickering endlessly in and out, the round bead-like jet eyes never leaving his for an instant. Its voice was like dry leaves rustling in, uh, in an autumn breeze. Asmodeus. Asmodeus. It hissed. So kind of you to untie yourself, rat. Come with me. I will show you eternity. Asmodeus. Asmodeus. And then it strikes lightning speed and Ragnar just feels a sharp sting and then his limbs go all flaccid and his eyes mist over and the last thing he hears on earth is the adder's sibilant hiss, Asmodeus, Asmodeus. Um, I, I love snakes. Actually, one of the things that got me into reading Red Wall was I knew there was a snake in it. Like, yes, I saw like, an episode of the TV series, but I also saw a little preview thing that showed a snake. And I looked at the front cover, and this isn't the same copy I'm looking at right now, but there was a snake on that, too. And yeah, we have a friend who lives in England who actually has seen basically the snakes of England, since he lives there, and including the adder. Um, so... Um. I suppose an adder could eat a rat, but I'd think a full-grown rat even then is a pretty uh, large prey for... Yeah. And... Now, regarding how Brian Jakes portrays them, he definitely does the whole thing where the snake looks into the eyes of the prey and it gets hypnotized and it can't run or fight back. Right. That's... That's been a myth for a long time, but it is a myth. 
And it is it is brought up in the book. Again and again. Yeah. Now, the name has an interesting story behind it. So, you know, Brian was a truck driver. He stayed at a motel. And you know how motels like, often have, like, a Bible that's kept in the drawer right. that comes with it? In the U.S., it's Gideon Bibles, but... Right. I believe it's a different one in the UK. Mm-hmm. And it had like an index on the back that had names for, you know, different things. And one of them was names for the devil. Mm-hmm. And Asmodeus was listed. And that's where Brian got it from. Ah. Now, Asmodeus is not a name for the devil. Asmodeus is the name of a demon from the Apocrypha, from the book of Judith. But not the actual devil himself, different, uh, different being. And, you know, it had a, I guess he liked the kind of hissing quality to the name and used it for the snake. Mm. But yeah, that's the interesting story behind uh, how he found that name to use. Um, I'm not really fond of the snakes associated with evil trope, but these are mice and rats. I mean, they're... They're not exactly going to be friends with the snakes. You know, that's what eats them. Anyway, back to Clooney, and he's uh, scratching the floor of the ditch. And... He is planning to secretly attack the Abbey from the moss flower side as a surprise maneuver. And he's got a handpicked squad to help him uh, carry this out. He's going to have Red Tooth dressed in his own war armor to stay back in the meadow so the Red Wallers will look at him at a distance and think that's Clooney. And the rats in the ditch would keep attacking the walls so that the mice will be occupied with that. And they would take the long plank from the Lich Gate fence. And they traveled in a northerly direction until they were out of sight. And with the plank and they're climbing out of the ditch across the road into Mossflower Wood. Um, And Clooney is sitting on a fallen tree trunk and explaining what they need to do. Search the area for a big high tree that's growing near the abbey walls and make sure the tree is a little bit higher than the wall itself and not too difficult to climb. So they go off looking for trees and Clooney's all angry because he's being so far shown up by mice and woodland creatures. It's hurting his ego and he's digging his claws into a rotten tree trunk and setting the beetles and wood lice running and... Um, he tore out a chunk of the spongy timber. So it's is a pretty rotted tree trunk. Um, fun fact, when the tr- timber gets all spongy like that, it's called punk. Punk wood. Oh. Um, they don't say that here, but... Bit of trivia. And... Well... Um, uh, a ferret and a rat... Return. Uh, well, actually, you should probably say what they what they saw first. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, 
yeah, Cheese Thief the Rat and a ferret named Kilconey. Um, they come crashing out of the undergrowth and they... Oh, it sounds like the dog is causing a little bit of trouble. <laughs> dogs will be dogs. Well, anyway... They report to Clooney that they got a bit lost and they found a great strap in Oak. And Clooney asks, was it close to the wall? And she says, like, no, it was further in the woods and he found this wrapped around the trunk and he holds up the chewed, broken climbing rope. And Clooney's like, it's Shadow's climbing rope. He's dead. What are you trying to tell me? And Kilconey starts whimpering. He says, it's Ragger, your honor. And... Clooney grabs both of them and is shaking them soundly. Have you both gone raving mad? Do you mean to tell me you're frightened of that fool Ragier? And Cheese Thief start, falls to his knees and he's crying. And he says, but you didn't see him, Chief. He was just lying there. His face was all swollen and his tongue was sticking out. It had gone purple. Ugh. He was all sort of bloated like it was horrible. I think you see where this is going. Yeah, well. And... Kilconey is bobbing his head in agreement and he says, I saw twice, didn't we see him with our very own eyes, sir? Poor old Ragier and him going backwards all the time. And Clooney is like, going backwards? Indeed he was, as Kilconey. And your man here says to me, says he, there's something pulling Ragier along. Sure, we couldn't see what it was for all the bushes, so we pulled them to one side between us and what did we see? And Clooney is getting angry, or and he says, "Well, what did you see?" And Kilconey stops and shudders, and he says, "We saw the biggest snake you ever clapped eyes on, the father of all serpents. He had poor Ragier's body by the feet and was dragging it along backwards." So and that's Asmodeus. That's Asmodeus. And Clooney says, "What did the serpent do when it saw you?" And Cheese Thief says, "It let go of Ragier and it looked at us. The serpent stared at us. It kept on saying, Asmodeus, Asmodeus.'" And Clooney scratches his head and says, Asmodeus, what's that supposed to mean? Do you not know? Tis the dreaded name of the devil himself, sir, says the ferret. I know because me old mother told me so. And she always said never to look a serpent in the eye. So he says to me, mate here, cheese thief, says I, don't look, run for your life. And that's exactly what we did, sir. Oh, you'll never know how horrible it was. I'd rather be tied in a blazing barn than go back there, so I would. The great scaly body of that Clooney's a quiet fool. He thinks he hears the others coming back. Not a word to anyone about the snake, or you'll feel my serpent across your back. And he's waving his tail meaningfully. Mm-hmm. And they take his point, and a weasel called Scrag comes running up. And he reports... Smartly, with great efficiency, they found a tree, a high tree near the abbey wall, an elm, and it's higher than the wall, but it's got lots of branches jutting out um, for climbing. And Clooney asks how far it is, and Scrag answers that it's ten minutes march to the east, and Clooney has them form up in single file and march eastward, and the high tree was an elm, it was giant, it had gnarled bumps, branches, and... Clooney sees this is exactly what he wants, and he tells them they're going to climb the tree, and when they get high enough, they're going to find a strong branch. They can bridge to the wall with the plank, and if they go carefully, the mice won't suspect the thing, and they're going to get inside a red wall over the plank before anyone notices. Now, a couple of things I'll bring up. Yes, the whole thing about the snake's eyes comes up again, and it 
supposedly being a name for the devil, Asmodeus. And now the graphic description of Ragir's body, um, that's not... Alright, when a snake bites something that's actually prey-sized to eat, like, the animal is going to be dead, but it's not going to be all, like, messed up looking like that. That's more of what happens if a snake, generally something more toxic than a regular adder, like, bites a person. Well, um, adders, they're not constrictors, are they? They're not. They okay, have so the hemotoxic venom, though. Okay, cause so I was, tr- I was kind of envisioning, oh, well, maybe it could get that way because the snake wrapped around it. And uh, no, no constricting there. So, uh, yeah, they have a hemotoxic venom, so a lot of tissue damage, but it would not look that way on something that is actually would be killed pretty instantly because the snake's going to eat it. That would be more of an effect on, like, if a person got bit, and that sounds really worse than even a regular European adder bite would generally do. Well, Jake's may not know, have known everything there was to know about envenomation and such. But he knew some, or he wouldn't have come up with that. Right. But And the other thing is, uh, this seems like a size scale issue. Mm. That plank, so they got it off of a churchyard gate. And they're going to bridge it from a tree branch to the wall. They make the plank sound huge. For that, it would be. But to reach it from a tree branch to the... Yeah, but this was a large tree that had far-reaching branches, so it sounds like they wouldn't have had trouble with that. Anyway, that is the end of that chapter. Um, I suppose while I'm on the subject of Adder Venom... Um, also, the composition of their, uh, venom varies from where the adder is from, so some actually have more of, like, a nerve toxin, um, so it's going to vary by population of adder in real life. Right. It's, it's, this is a bit too much complicated herpetology to show up in Redwall, but, um. Well, we're herpers, so we herpetology. <laughs> Chapter 19. So we're back to Matthias and the Bull family. Uh, it's difficult to know who was most surprised, Matthias and his party, or the rats. Um, seconds pause, and they scatter, and one or two of the rats are a bit slow, but they're not as slow as Colin Vol and his mother, and they're grabbed. And Matthias um, runs, and he trips a rat that's about to grab Mr. Vol, and... He says, run, keep going, Mr. Vol, and try to make it out to the woods and hide. But Mr. Vol's like, well, you got my wife and my son. And Matthias is like, they'll get you too, and you won't help them by being taken prisoner. Yeah, also, what would that be? So, And Matthias picks up a branch, and he's taunting the rats. Only a dozen of you, let's see what you rats are made of. First come, first served. And he's calling for Basil Stag here, who... Um, he doesn't see, and a and rat... he doesn't know where he, he is, you know. So a rat gets too close to Matthias, and he whacks the rat with his tree branch, and then, oh, well hit, sir, jolly well hit, and that's Basil Stag, and he comes bounding up, and he's all grinning, and... Ba- Basil had been back at his uh, 
quarters uh, doing, doing spring, spring cleaning. Spring cleaning. Like, yeah, way to ditch out on the much more important thing. <laughs> so, yeah, Matthias was not happy with Basil. And oh, how nice of you, Mr. Harris. So glad you could join us. I don't suppose you put on the kettle for tea as he's like hitting rats. Which and... he, in fact, did. <laughs> he did. Yes. Why, yes, as a matter of fact, I did. Nothing like a fresh pot of mint tea after some good, healthy exercise. What, what? And, you know, Matthias hits another rat in the face with a branch, and the hair's insane. Mint tea, indeed. And he says, I don't suppose you think I'm going to sit in your den drinking tea all afternoon. And Basil is starting to fight the rats, too, and... Yeah, they're they're talking tea and fighting rats at the same time. <laughs> and he says, I certainly hope not, old bean. You see, it'd be perish and awkward, as I've only got a four-piece tea set. And if I'm not mistaken, the small gent who took off for the woods like a scalded duck is obviously the husband of this delightful Lady Vol, so I'll have to invite him too, won't I? And so it sounds like if he actually did, they would be taking turns sharing a cup. Yeah, and Matthias trips a rat and... Um, he's starting to actually get into, like, teasing Basil Stag and Stride. Why, of course you will, Mr. Hare. What a boy you must think me. I'll probably sit around in the common here and teach the rats to make daisy chains. And, um, Basil is laughing and he says, No need to get up at a young feller. I thought I'd best shelter the voles and see him safe to the abbey later. And obviously you need to get back to Redwall post-haste and the family of voles will only slow him up. And Matthias actually apologizes and thanks him for the help and says he didn't mean to be rude. And so Matthias starts heading back towards Redwall, but he's thirsty and he's hungry, and probably the talk of tea didn't help. Um, but he hears the trickle of a stream, so he stops for a little drink and uh, he relaxes for a moment. He picks some dandelions for a snack. And he lies down on an outcrop of red sandstone. And, you know, there's a lot of that around. It's what the Abbey's made from. Uh, and he's, the life of a warrior is very tiring. And he closes his eyes wondering if Martin the warrior ever felt tired. And he must have with his big heavy sword and all that armor. What happened to the sword anyway? It had to be somewhere. Legendary weapons didn't rust and wear away to nothing. Otherwise, they'd never get to be legends. And a dragonfly's flying around, wondering what this strange creature's doing in his territory. But it's no threat to him and, uh, I mean, the dragonfly. And then he looks and the mouse is fast asleep, snoring like a squirrel in midwinter, oblivious to all about him. And that is the end of chapter 19. And now, um, the final chapter for this episode, chapter 20. So, it's late afternoon, they're trying to get the plank up the tree, and they're having some setbacks. The rats weren't good climbers, um, but the, the ferrets and weasels are actually really a lot better, and... There's a weasel named Scrag, who was really helpful and boosting and encouraging and he's organizing lifting the plank and Clooney is thinking he should uh, maybe promote this one later because he's officer material 
but they're still uh, below the edge of the parapet and the branches are getting thin and whippy and they're not strong enough to support the plank's weight. And Clooney is taking stock of the situation and he calls a halt. And he says, I'll take a breather and um, we'll finish this in the evening when there's more shadow, less daylight, and the mice have slowed down a bit. We'll catch them off guard and... um, Scrag, see this lot keeps telling quiet, will you? And Scrag salutes and he says that the branch that he's sitting on right now would be a good one to try to put the plank on because it's stronger. And Clooney says, good thinking. And stick by me, Scrag, you're a useful soldier. With some of the blockheads I've got around me, I could be on the lookout for a new captain soon. You know what that means, extra loot, a bigger share of the plunder. Clooney always rewards initiative, Scrag. Play your cards right and you'll soon get promotion. And Cheese Thief is listening to this conversation. And, yeah, he's getting envious and doesn't like the idea that Scrag might get promoted ahead of him. But Cheese Thief had already just shown that he was afraid of heights, which didn't help, you know, him look great in front of Clooney. So... He lost some brownie points right there. And, yeah, Scrag is definitely the more efficient soldier, more competent, and... Yeah, Cheese Thief isn't happy about this at all. Yeah, especially since uh, Scrag is not a rat. He's not a rat, I know. So, yeah. He doesn't like that Clooney is going to probably promote a non-rat ahead of a rat... And so uh, back to the Abbey, and Abbot Mortimer is looking up at the sky, and no rats had gotten all the way over the wall yet, and so things are doing fairly well. And the fighting is at a lull, and Cornflower. Mm, yeah. She's going for around bringing stew and wild grapes and honeyed nut bread to the fighters. And. Um, she compliments how common a fit efficient cornflour is to Constance, the abbot does, and um, Constance says that she looks worried, and maybe it's about Matthias. And they actually are all three worried about Matthias. And they've searched everywhere for him, but they don't know where he is, but the abbot says wherever he is, he feels certain that he's helping our cause, and we'll have to wait was return and trust to his judgment and good sense. Um, they watched a seesaw being hoisted by Winifred the Otter and Formal. And, yeah, this was a seesaw that yeah, the other baby animals used. Mm-hmm. And they set the seesaw down on the parapet and they're looking for a boulder to you know, catapult with it. I somehow don't think that would physics-wise work as well as it's happening here, but... I think the idea was that put the boulder at one end, then you sit down or jump on the other end, and it throws the boulder up in the air. And, well, maybe it's a longer seesaw than I was picturing. 
And the mouth archers are still uh, you know, shooting the arrows. And the rats are throwing javelins, which is... It's like a light wooden spear. That, uh... I believe instead of, like, a spearhead, they actually just, like, sharpen the point mm-hmm. of the wood. And, uh... Yeah, the javelins are actually killing some of the um, red wall defenders. And... Some lap invented a weapon with the chunks ch- of uh, chunks of iron gray railings strung on lengths of cord, and the rat swings the cord around and gets momentum until it's really fast and um, throws it upward, and it goes high and then falls down. And if it hits one of the red wall animals, they are killed or horribly maimed. And if it doesn't hit them. Then it breaks apart and the um, rocks and metal fragment ricochet around dangerously. Now Constance got one that was still intact. And she was quite accurate with her aim and her ability to swing it around. And uh, she would hurl it back at them. And out of... All of the animals at Redwall, the vermin feared and hated Constance the most. Well, she's definitely the the largest and most warlike animal there. Right. And, yeah, they actually ordered most of the defenders to, like, get off of the um, wall area and while these church railing weapons are being used to minimize how many are being hurt by this. And on the branches of the elm tree, Clooney's watching the shadows lengthen, and he sees a pretty sunset, and soon he will uh, raise the plank. There's no tin pot order of mice was going to stand against the might of Clooney the Scourge. Methuselah is inside the abbey, looking at the damaged tapestry, He's too old for battle anymore. And he figures the best way he could help is by using his brain and thinking. And um, he thinks that there there has to be a clue somewhere that would lead to where the resting place of Martin the warrior could be found. Or where he could regain possession of the ancient sword for the abbey. But where? He'd been looking every now and then for quite a long while. And Um, he wished Matthias was around with his younger mind to uh, help him, but... Um, you know, Matthias isn't there. And he sways on his... He sways on his feet, and he put out the paw to steady himself, and he touches the wall, and the exact patch of stone over which the image of Martin the warrior had once hung. And then he gives a sigh of satisfaction and allows a small smile to creep across his features because he can feel writing carved into the dust-covered wall. And thus ends the book cha- one. The chapter and book one, this book is divided into part one, part two, part three. Um, you know, book two would be the quest, and it starts off counting the chapters from starting at one again. Um, he does this again in part three. This is... 
he kind of changed this, how his chapters are numbered in the rest of the books. They're still divided into part one, part two, and part three, but the chapters don't restart counting. And I think it's better that way, but... um, Earlier, a couple days back, I made the mistake of I was going to read chapters 16 through 20 in preparation for this, but I read chapters 16 through 20 in the third section of the book instead of the first section of the book. So then I reread chapter 16 through 20 in the first section of the book. So I got ahead of myself for a little bit. But I've read this book before, but it's been quite a long while. So I'm rereading it. And um, I'm going to get kind of spoilery, so if you want to avoid that, I guess I'm going to stop now. But, okay, and here we go. You know, I think, except for the whole emphasis on, you know, Destiny and Martin the Warrior and Matthias having all this Destiny stuff going on with him, that he's going to be the one to face Clooney, I've wondered if they'd sent out Basil Stagg or Constance to face Clooney. You know, except for it having all these destiny themes in place, if it was just military might versus military might, you know, fighter versus fighter. Mm-hmm. I would think if they had uh, Constance or Basil challenge Clooney to single combat, I think either one of them would have had a decent chance. Um, why does the why does the sword have to be the special one? I mean an ordinary sword can still uh kill a rat. I know I'm uh ignoring the the themes here. Well it's even more so in the cartoon where Clooney is there when Basil is going around taunting, and he's like pinching Clooney's cheeks, and I'm like, at any time, Basil, you could have finished off Clooney and ended this. Obviously, it's not the case here, because Clooney wasn't around. You got any more comments about these last five? No. Um, thought it was good. Um, look forward to reading the next chapters. Yeah, we'll have more Red Wall, more Game of Thrones. I'm going to eventually get to doing Lord of the Rings with Sam, who hasn't been on this podcast yet, but, um, he said he'd like to do that series with um we'd love to hear from you if you uh want to message the facebook and um review us on any medium you're listening to this on uh, anchor apple Well, and a few others, too, that Anchor distributes to. Um, if anybody knows 
what the stag at Eve is actually meant to be, uh, please tell us. Thank you for listening to Cast It Into the Fire podcast. Have a good afternoon. Have a good afternoon.